Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and I'm so happy you've joined me today. Today, I am honored and delighted to bring you my guest, Becca Ferguson. Becca Ferguson is a licensed professional counselor who specializes in trauma recovery, and she is an online course creator and real-life human being. Becca brings her love for storytelling and teaching to every environment that she's in, and today will be no exception. When people ask for her advice, it's coming from years of experience personally and professionally. Becca's main goal is for people to know that they aren't alone. In her spare time, she drowns out the intrusive thoughts with trash TV, playing with her cats, and hanging out with her incredible husband. And so I'm really excited to introduce you to Becca today. Hello. Hi, how are you? I am good. I love that we're getting to finally meet. We've known each other a little bit. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I love guesting on podcasts. This is going to be so much fun. Tell me for you, Becca, what does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? You know, I am a very vulnerable human being. And I think that that's something that makes me such a heart-centered therapist. I bring my personal experience and my professional experience into the therapy room. So being vulnerable, I'm I'm a survivor myself of abuse. And I think that just makes me, you know, a real life human being because I'm able to relate with my clients and everyone that I talk to and not saying that you have to have gone through trauma in order to be a therapist, but I think in my case, being able to recognize like, hey, this is something that I actually went through and I can tell my clients that they're not alone. I think that really fosters a good authentic connection in the therapy room. Wow. So the fact that you started with being vulnerable as as a key tenant of being a heart-centered therapist, I, I so agree with that. When we're in our vulnerable place, right? That's the seat of our hearts and our emotions. And you said, and I quote this, I've been through some shit and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Yeah, that's a very vulnerable sentence. And that's exactly how I talk. You know, I was raised in a very conservative Christian environment. I mean, Arkansas is is where I practice and where I live. Um, and so uh, we're right in the middle of the Bible belt where I'm, I think we're the belt buckle. We're the thing that just like you know, it's all in there, all mushed together. But yes, I'm pretty sure I just made it up. So you're welcome. <laughs> Growing up in a really conservative Christian environment, there was a lot of things that were bad, disrespectful. You're not supposed to cuss. You're not supposed to be really authentic self. You don't really have the ability to grow your own autonomy in that environment because you're 
told who you have to be like in order to get to the place where you want to go, which is ultimately in the Bible belt heaven. And so it's like, that was a lot of stuff that was constantly ingrained in me as a child and young adult. And so as I grew into my therapy career, one of the first places that I worked in, in my internship was in a halfway house. It was for men that were recently released from prison. So I basically heard every single word that was not inside of the English dictionary. And I heard a lot of really raw stories. I noticed that one of the things that my clients were wanting to do was really connect with me as a person. And so I was trying to find the healthy boundary between telling my story and letting these, you know, what the world considers to be master manipulators to use it against me and then be a person that says, hey, you can't manipulate me because I have a bullshit detector. That's what I call it. And so it's like I'm able to be able to communicate and be that authentic person while also calling people out and saying, no, we're not going to go in this direction where you've been able to skirt around the system your whole entire life. So now not working in that system and just working, you know, I mostly work with young women with PTSD. Working with that population now, I'm able to tell them, you know, whether it's religious trauma, family trauma, sexual trauma. One of the first things that I say is I have heard every single story and every single word that is not inside of the English dictionary. Please feel free to be your true and authentic self in this room. And I love that. I have clients that all the time, you know, like if somebody, you know, drops a curse word, I'm like, yeah, be yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, I I had one person that came to me for Christian counseling and she sits on my couch with her notebook in her lap and her pen. And she's like all, all sitting up straight, just prepared to take notes. And I was like, you might as well get your Bible out. We're going to go through some scripture. I'm like, this is Sunday church. There's the way you're acting, you know? And so I told her, I'm like, be yourself. And she just looks at me. She's like, shit. Oh my God. Yes. Thank you. A Christian that I can talk to that cusses. Thank you. And And I just, um, I built a really authentic therapeutic relationship with her. And, you know, after a while she was like, I think I'm good. And I'm so that's what I want is I want you to come to me when you need me. But as of right now, like, I agree. You really moved through this. I'm proud of you. Wow. Becca, that's, that's so cool. I love that story. And you know, the, the fact that you gave her permission to be herself and then she connected with you on so many levels. Right. And I'm sure it probably, it healed some of her trauma. It, it probably helped her find that the spiritual center that she really wanted mm-hmm. through her work with you and things like that. You know, I have a lot of people that come to me. I don't necessarily advertise and say like, Hey, I'm a Christian therapist because that's not necessarily what I do. I'm I specialize in trauma and with my own experience in religious trauma and growing up in that Bible Belt area I'm able to relate to people in a different way when it comes to that I'm able to challenge what they were raised to believe and how they can integrate their new beliefs into their daily life and so I 
walk through that with every single person that comes into my office. I tell them like, I'm not the therapist that's going to sit in here and condemn you for the thoughts that you've had or tell you that you've been doing something wrong. I'm the person that's going to challenge what you have been raised to think. So we can think differently because the ways that you have been thinking have led to this distress that you're in right now. And who better? Because you get it. You've, you've had that lived experience. Yeah. Thank you. So you started by telling us kind of like this first gig you had as a therapist working the halfway house um, and, you know, kind of with a rough crowd, but you really got got your your feet wet and your identity solidified as a therapist that I'm going to be myself to the extent that it's, it's therapeutically beneficial. So take us back a little bit in terms of like deciding to become a therapist, you know, you've talked about this, this trauma you went through and some of your, your upbringing and, and how did you decide you wanted to be a therapist? You know, that's a funny story because I didn't even know that therapy existed until I went to college. So, you know, being raised in that really conservative Christian environment, everything that you went through, any challenges that you went through were dealt with in church. And it wasn't necessarily that you were healing from it. It's that you were just passing it on to God. And so my narrative of how to work through things was really distorted when I was younger. I went through a lot of abuse when I was younger with my youth minister. And so that was something that played a big part in my identity. I was the teenage girl with a 30 something year old grown man that was her best friend and uh, went to church all the time. I was um, eventually they just got tired of me coming to church and having to unlock the door. So they just gave me a key and it was like this big joke, you know, Becca's there before the doors even open. So she can just unlock the doors, you know? So I definitely experienced that side of things, the the toxic side of the church environment, especially with that a couple individuals that were very abusive, emotionally, very manipulative. And so going through that abuse, naturally, what you're supposed to do is become a youth minister. <laughs> and so my whole entire life, I can remember like vividly sitting at the lunch table as a third grader and people asking like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I say, I'm going to become an ordained minister in the Methodist church. And I, I mean, I can vividly remember for a very long time telling people that I was going to be a preacher. What else was there? Uh, yeah, it, it didn't it didn't make sense for me to do anything else. And my dad especially is all about being practical. And so, you know, in the Methodist church, you get a parsonage, you know, they pay for your house and all those kind of stuff. So, I mean, this is a practical career. Not only are you doing this, but I mean, you get your house, you get your bills paid, you know. Um, so having that sense of ha- having that sense of like, oh, this is the path that I'm supposed to be going down was really important. And so naturally, what does Becca decide to do with that idea? I'm like, well, I'm going to go to college. And I went to college at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas, getting a degree in radio, television, video, strategic communication and broadcasting and a minor, yeah, a minor in strategic communication. And so I did a lot of that. Makes sense though, right? Because you're still thinking communicate and like, right. 
Right. And, and so it kind of went from me being a pastor to the big church to being a youth minister, because that's what my youth minister wanted me to do. And, you know, looking back at that now, I can tell that was all about control for him. You know, as long as she's in a career that I understand, then I can control her. And that was something that he really enjoyed doing. And so I did end up becoming a youth minister, but I decided to move outside of Arkansas so I could get some more perspective. And I became a youth minister at a church in uh, Wichita, Kansas. It was not a good experience while I was there at all. And I was really struggling personally. I had no friends. I was in a completely different environment. My depression was like at all time high. I didn't even know what depression was at that point. I was going to ask, like, how did your, your mental health journey kind of coincide with this? Yeah, it it was horrible. I mean, you know, the suicidal thoughts were up there. I was trying to get over a relationship at that point in time. And so I I had just been in a long-term relationship with someone and I was trying to move past that. And so going to Kansas was more of like me running away. And it all kind of came to the surface and um, the church, instead of helping me get through it, would put me on a mental health leave and, you know, for half the pay, stay home for 60 days and get yourself together and then come back to church, which just did not help my self-esteem at all. I ended up going to see a therapist, Joel, um, and he to this day, absolutely love him, still email him and let him know what's going on in my life. But he was the first name. Shout out to Joel. That is amazing. Yes. Joel in Wichita, Kansas. um, (laughs) He owns real life counseling plug. If he is your therapist and you're listening to this, you're in good hands. Joel, if you're listening to this, thank you. (laughs) Um, But so beautiful, right? Yeah. I see how touched you are, you know? Yeah. I know my listener can't see, but you know, Becca's really touched. I see it in her eyes. Like you're remembering he, he helped you get out of the depression and the suicidal thoughts and that, that state that you were in. And this right here is what catalyzed you to want to do this work as a therapist. It was, it was a tough journey and he really challenged me. I remember, you know, having some pretty negative distortions. And at the, you know, I I tell this story because I go into therapy one day and I tell him, I'm like, you know what, Joel? Um, I have figured it out. Everyone in my life does not want me to get back with my ex because they think that he is a horrible person, but he is the only one that knows me and loves me for who I am. And I need to get back with him. And he just looks at me and says, you go, girl, you get back with him. You do it. And I was like, what? I'm like, thank you for this validation. You're the best therapist ever. And so I reach out to my ex. Of course, my ex does what he does, which is, you know, promise, empty promises. And then, you know, I'll, I'll call you next weekend. And I'm like, oh, great. And then no call the next weekend. No call the weekend after that. No call the weekend after that. I go back to therapy and I was like, you know what? I think I'm over him. I'm like, I, I think I'm just, I think I'm done. Like he really doesn't care about me. And Joel looks at me and he says, what? <laughs> no, he doesn't care about you. That's crazy. And I was like, 
you are such an asshole. I'm like, you knew this all along. A little paradoxical intervention there. Yes. And so I, um, I had another job lined up and then they withdrew their offer and it happened within like, you know, two days. And I just, I just told him, I said, you know, well, Jesus doesn't pay for health insurance when you work at a church, just to let you know. So I was paying out of pocket <laughs> to go see Joel. And I looked at him, I said, man, this is like a $2,500 therapy bill. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to pay this. And he looked at me and he said, go back home, live in your parents' basement, go to Henderson, be a therapist. And when you have a young woman that's sitting across from you at the toughest moment of her life, tell her that it's paid for. Oh my gosh. Wow. So I got chills. That is beyond generous. So naturally I didn't become a therapist after that. (laughs) I waited. (laughs) Um, I decided not to go back to school for a couple months because I was scared, but then uh, Chester Bennington, the lead singer from Lincoln Park, died by suicide a couple months later. And I grew up listening to that in my angry teenage stage and just listening to his lyrics and his true authentic self and him talking about his struggles with his intrusive thoughts and his suicidal ideations and things of that nature. And just how like the even numb or crawling in my skin. And so the day that he died by suicide was the day that I applied to go to grad school to become a therapist. And so I had a lot of things that were the catalyst to me becoming a therapist, but that's the, that's the story. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, so vulnerable and so, so honest and heart-wrenching, like what you went through, but also how, you started to learn to, to overcome and to be yourself, you know, and to tell your therapist, like, what, you're an asshole. You knew this all along. And now <laughs> yeah. you're that kind of therapist where a client can tell you the same thing. Right. Oh yeah. I, I tell my clients all the time, the therapist that I have now, I love her to death. She is, I think she's a mirror of me, which is kind of funny because I think I needed another me to tell me that I need to, I need to be quiet and sit down sometimes tell my clients all the time. I'm like, dude, my therapy sessions with my therapist are her telling me something. And then me being like, screw you. Okay. I already knew that. And then she's like, sorry, (laughs) you know? And so I'm like, you get to be you. If you're mad at something that I say in here, tell me that you're mad at something that you say that I say, you know, have the emotion. I want you to have a panic attack in this room. I want you to get frustrated in this room. I want you to feel all the feelings because that's, a big deal. A hundred percent. And I love how you say that, Becca, because, you know, I think that's such, such a much more like real life way of telling your clients that you welcome feedback and all, you know, all of them is welcome here. Right. And so I think for the, for my listener, when, when they hear like, yeah, I want you to get mad at me. I want you to get frustrated. Tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. Good for that here for all of that. Yes. It's, it's such a, it's such a big thing. I I had a client the other day that came into my office in a horrible mood and I have no windows in my office because it's in a, in a suite and she gets overstimulated easily by light. And so I said, I'm going to turn off all the lamps except for one, because we can't just chill here in the dark. And she just laid on my couch and just yelled and got mad. And then she came up to me later because we had group therapy later that night. And she was like, I'm sorry for being a bitch to you earlier. 
<laughs> I was like, it's okay. That's what I want. I want you to be mean to me. I want you to get it out. You don't have a safe place to get it out. And so be that, have that here, you know? I have like a nice office space. So I tell my clients, I'm like, I got a kitchen in my office with a table. As long as I'm here, come here, work on stuff, have this be a safe, a safe place for you to be at. That's what I love is providing that atmosphere for people to grow. You are the safety, right? You're the safety for your client and then the safe space. That's, that's really Thank great. Mm-hmm. So this is so uh, fun to hear about therapists needing therapy. I know you believe like therapists need therapy and, but in this way, it's like so refreshing to hear instead of like, oh, we must go to therapy. It's part of like our due diligence as therapists, whatever you you say it in such a a different way, Becca. And I love what you say. Like uh, you pride yourself in being a therapist who goes to therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like you take so much pride in that. And I think that's a lesson for all of us. Yeah. I, I definitely, it's, it's funny because I tell people that therapist shopping is a very real and very good thing for you to do. I am fully aware that I am not the therapist for every single person that walks into my room. You know, there's some populations that I don't have enough education to be able to help. And there's some clients that, you know, when you have PTSD as a therapist, there's some clients with some issues that trigger you as a therapist that you have to work on. And there's this idea that our clients can have panic attacks and our clients are allowed to have motions. But when it comes to us, we have to shove it down and we can't allow ourselves to work through that. So, you know, in my therapy sessions, it's me going to therapy saying, I got triggered by this particular client when they were talking about this and working through how that relates with my story, my PTSD and, you know, my anxiety, my depression and understanding how I can become a better therapist. And sometimes that looks like, Hey, I'm not the best therapist for you right now. And it also looks like finding your, your niche, you know, finding those clients that you work well with. So I am a really good therapist for therapists because Therapists come into my office and I mean, I'm a business owner. I own my own practice. And so I know from all aspects, from the agency side of things, all the way to owning your own practice. And I love letting therapists come in here and have panic attacks. It's one of my favorite thing because I love to guide them through it because it's like they see it all the time. And then when they, when they have it, they're like, how can I get through this faster? And I'm like, no, don't get through it faster. Feel it, feel it, feel it. And, um, I just, you, you make them experience it. Experience rather. Yes. And I love it because, you know, I've had a couple therapists that have had panic attacks in my office. And then afterwards, when they start breathing, I'm like, look at you. What a badass for just getting through that panic attack. And then they're like, okay, you know, yeah. Okay. Back up. I'm not a badass. I'm crying like a little baby over here. And I'm like, no, that was awesome. I'm like, congratulations. And so that's a big part of what I do is being that person for therapists as well. Yes. Even just getting them to cry. I mean, sometimes yeah. I think, therapists, you know, we, we just 
keep our emotions so, so close to the chest and it's hard and we're so trained to, to monitor that. And so whether you can, you can help somebody get out their anger, express their panic or have a good cry, you know, I, that's, that's amazing. Um, You love working with therapists and you also have expertise in suicide intervention, crisis management, the trauma-informed therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, How did that like develop? You said after um, you went to grad school, then did you know, like, I'm going to work with the hardest stuff? Did you know that? (laughs) <laughs> no. And really, honestly, it's it's crazy for you to validate that it's the hardest stuff because I, I like it a lot. And so it's really not that hard for me most of the time because I thrive in a crisis unless it's my own crisis, which my husband... <laughs> will be like, you know, yes, you thrive with everyone else's crisis, but when it comes to yours, <laughs> you know, it's funny because, you know, side note, I didn't allow my husband to see me have a panic attack until after we got married. Cause I was like, gotcha. <laughs> you know, now you're stuck with me, you know, a little bit of that trauma coming up. No. Um, Honestly, I was in grad school and we did like a group therapy cl- class. Um, like you know, part of the curriculum, obviously. And the population that was assigned to me was veterans uh, through that experienced, uh, you know, PTSD from war. And I did, you know, we did that mock group. And after we were done doing it, I really didn't know if I did a good job or not. But my professor was like, Becca, if you haven't found your population yet, this is it. Like not just necessarily veterans, but people with PTSD. Like there is a way that you talk to people with PTSD that I haven't heard anyone else talk to that way. I mean, she was, she was so excited for me. And so, you know, I thought about going to the VA, but I, that didn't work out during my internship. The more young women that I saw that struggled with PTSD, the more I was just like, this is it, you know, and it's not necessarily just the like short-term experiences, you know, the one traumatic event. What I work really well with is the people that are, that grew up in trauma and have had that like through family, through everything, you know, they just our, their lives are trauma. And yeah. so um, childhood trauma yes. experiences, the cumulative family systems, intergenerational trauma. Yes. yes. And, and so a lot of it is, cha- I tell my clients all the time, the phrase that I use is change the narrative. And so I don't know if you've read the book yet by Jeanette McCurdy. Um, I'm glad my mom died, mm-hmm. but it's a, honestly, I related to it so much, um, not with my mom, but, you know, understanding the abuse side of it. Um, she wrote the book in two parts before her mom died and after her mom died. And so I kind of use that as an example with my clients of like, now we're changing the narrative from this is when the trauma happened. And now we're able to see things from a different perspective and understand how to react to it. And it's not just, oh, this is outside of your control. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's this is outside of our control, but we're going to work together to, you know, make a connection and really find 
how you want to live your life and build your own autonomy versus your, you know, your parents' idea of things or your youth ministers or your pastors or whoever's idea of how you're supposed to govern your body. Um, so so you, we, you really, I love that changing the narrative and, and helping them get to a place where, yes, this was not safe for you or you didn't have that security. And now we're going to work to manage your reactivity, get in touch with your emotions, and then find some safety in yes. your life and in your relationships and in your connections, because that trust has been so betrayed in people's connections, those yes. folks. And so that, that security takes a while to rebuild. Um, oh yeah, it definitely does. And it is so difficult too, because you try so hard to build trust in yourself. And, you know, I, I just had a client this morning that she was panicking and I was like, she's like, I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to get through this. I can't do it. And I said, what did you do that was so bad that makes it to where you can't trust yourself to get through this? And she was like, well, I could have gotten through the panic attack faster. And I said, no, no. What did you do in your life that was so bad that you can't trust yourself to get through this? And she was like, um, mm, well, uh, I was like, no, your parents did all this shitty stuff. You did it. Like you were put in this situation. And so, you know, it's about building up that trust in yourself and creating the path for you to make your own autonomy. So. Yes, and and in that case, for your client, seeing herself as separate from the abuse or the experience of it, you know, even even just that that generation of it, the yeah. cause of it, because she connected herself with that, which of course we know happens all the time. It's yes, it, it's a, the separation I've found has been so helpful. You know, we live that life um, of separating and putting all of our emotions in a box. It's like, well, now let's take the emotions out of the box, but still understand like they can be, you know, somewhat separate, you know, as, as we move forward so we can understand them and have a conversation with them and see how we can help them. Did you know one in five people will experience a mental health issue this year? Mentalhealththreads.com is your online shop dedicated to promoting mental health awareness and breaking the stigma surrounding mental illness. You can find fun, creative, and inspiring products like t-shirts, hoodies, and more, all with positive messages that remind us to take care of our mental health. Favorites like Perfectly Imperfect, Your Anxiety is Telling You Lies, It's Okay to Not Do It All, and No Risk, No Magic. Plus, we have a special collection just for therapists, like our bestseller, I'm a mom and a therapist, nothing scares me. So come check it out at mentalhealththreads.com. Our mission is to start important conversations about mental health and to remind you that you are not alone. Check out mentalhealththreads.com today. And I just want to go back for a second. What a gift that your instructor told you you have this natural ability to work with trauma that that could be your niche and what a gift that she shared that with you and then you know you kind of had a really good path and direction to test out for yourself right test the hypothesis oh is what she said true yeah and that was you know dr moss is her name she's a an amazing therapist and she's retired now 
she challenged me throughout my whole entire graduate school experience. She was actually the one in my very first grad school class because, you know, when I went into grad school, I had just finished therapy with Joel um, and obviously couldn't continue because he was in Kansas and I was in Arkansas and all the licensure stuff. And Arkadelphia has really low resources for mental health. And so um, I was in grad school class, the very first one, and we're talking about diagnosis and theories and everything. And I said, so uh, Dr. Moss, if you just happen to know of a client that has intermittent explosive disorder and like throws a lot of things at you possibly, and then like, how do you handle that? And she was like, I know that you are not talking about a client. And I know that you are talking about someone that is in your own life. And if that is it, you need to get your ass up and go to therapy. And I was like, in front of all these people I've never met before, my very first grad school class, great. I'm the messed up therapist. That's me. Like, I'm the one with the trauma. Hello, Hi, it's me. Um, and so she was the one that really encouraged me to keep going with that. That's that's great, Becca. Well, there goes my uh, how do you self-disclosure um, <laughs> question because you started it in grad school and I think you continue doing that pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I think self-disclosure um, is something that's so important in therapy, but if it doesn't help the client, then I don't say it. You know, I'm not just here to just blab until the sun comes up, but I feel like I've kind of mastered self-disclosure to a point where I'm like, let me tell you a story. And take it for what it is. There's a lot of times like people will come in here and I'll put my husband on blast. I don't care because he knows that I do it all the time. But clients will like ask me and they'll be like, can I ask you something about sex? I'm like, hell yeah, go for it. Like, let's talk about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, they're asking me random questions. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I've tried that before. That's the thing. And it's like, that's totally natural, human natural, as Kevin Malone from the office would say, you know? And so I'm very... I'm very open and authentic with, with my clients when it comes to every topic, there's no taboo topic with me. And I think that, you know, having that one person where they can ask those questions, especially in Arkansas, mm-hmm. it's a big, big deal, especially in Arkansas. Cause they're not allowed to really, women aren't allowed to really talk about that kind of stuff down here. And so having that person, I I'm okay being that person. I'm okay with putting my life out on blast for people. Yes. So again, you're creating this this safe place, this this resource for somebody, right? But from a real life human, you're a mm-hmm. therapist and a real life human to offer them just that place to come and ask anything, be themselves. Yes. And that's a I love it when people ask me questions that they don't want to ask because they get really uncomfortable all of a sudden on the couch and they're like so what do I do? Yeah. It's like, what do I do? I'm, I'm like, ah, and they're like grabbing themselves, like their arms and they're like touching their face or they're like grabbing a Kleenex and like covering their mouth with a Kleenex. I'm like, you know, I can still hear you. (laughs) Like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, just go ahead, be your, be yourself. It's like, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm like, I have heard it all. It's totally fine. So and and that's why we pay attention to body language too, right? We yes. look at those, those shifts or when something doesn't sit well or when they're like, you know, there's something else they want to talk about that they haven't said. And so you pay such close attention. Yes. Yeah. So let's shift just a little bit and talk about another 
passion of yours, which in, in working with therapists, you love to be a therapist for therapists, but, mm-hmm. but also you said, my hope is that my own story can help therapists become more vulnerable human in their sessions. Mm-hmm. And so Becca, how do you see like helping therapists to stay inspired in doing this work? You know, like the rate of burnout is high, you know, caseloads, not having, not having breaks and just all of that and, and feeling like we can't even be ourselves. So how do you kind of put this all together so that therapists want to stay being therapists? Right. Yeah. I think a big part of it starts with giving yourself permission, you know, and I I'm guilty of this in my own career as well. I was finally at a place where I could work with the population that I wanted to work with. I had my own office and then I found myself still accepting clients that were outside of my niche. And, you know, I wasn't really giving them much help. And all of a sudden I was in therapy and I was like, I was telling my therapist, I was like, I can't take on any more clients. And she was like, okay, okay. And I was like, is that okay though? And she's like, well, I mean, understand you're probably not going to take it, make as much money as you want to and all that kind of stuff, but maybe this is what you need. And so I kind of took a break after I opened my own practice in accepting new clients and I'm getting back to a place where I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable in doing that again. And I think a big part of that vulnerability was I'm going to work with the clients that I have that I work really well with and understand what I need as a therapist outside of those sessions. And so I was seeing six clients back to back with one 30 minute break in, in the day. And then I was coming home and I was shoving food in my mouth. And, you know, I was constantly like, go, 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 go. Um, And I was just exhausted all the time. And so taking this break, it's like now I recognize what I need during the day, which is I can only see this number of clients throughout the the week. You know, like if I see, like I recognize I can't see clients on Fridays. My brain does not function (laughs) normally on Fridays. And so it's like, I have to, I have to cut that off. Right. Um, Your capacity to do the work, that hard work of seeing clients, the energy. Yes. expenditure that it takes. Yes. Yes. And, and so I was like able to give myself permission to figure out what I needed. And so that's what I work a lot with therapists is like, we need to stop asking ourselves, like, what does everyone else want for me? And ask ourselves, like, what do we need? And so lowering my caseload, what I was able to really discover was what I loved the most about the clients that I have that I love. And that was the ability to have them message me and tell me, Becca, I need a session. I'm freaking out. And for me to say, all right, let's hop on and do a session. But now that I've gotten to a place where they have started to like kind of get a little bit more stable, I'm like, all right, now I can maybe add one or two more to the mix, you know, and and slowly build this up again. And so a lot of what I do with therapists is just allowing themselves to give themselves the permission to figure out what they want, not what, you know, productivity or money or whatever other 
you know, unrealistic expectations that the world has for them. What do you need to sustain yourself and the lifestyle that is maintainable, you know, or realistic and go from there. And with that, I think you really bring up a good point, right? Because we get burnt out when we're not working like in our zone of genius, in our passion, in that, that niche for us, right? So you said, okay, distill it down. I don't want to take on those clients anymore who are outside of, um, you know, my niche, because those would then start to drain your energy, right? Mm -hmm. And then also recognizing your capacity might be X number of clients a day, a week. And I know you'll share more about it towards um, the end. You then expanded your practice to offer courses and in-person workshops. And so you found other ways to supplement your income. Yes. Just therapy clients. Yes. So, and that was all part of wanting to reach more people. And that one thing I know the connection that we have in common is with Megan Gunnell, who helps with business coaching for therapists and everything, you know, hearing her, she's amazing. I absolutely love her. And when she made a post one day that was like bringing it from the one-to-one model to the one-to-all model, I was like light bulb, you know, like this is what I love to do. I love, love, love to tell stories and teach. And so I found myself kind of telling the same thing over and over and over and over and over again in sessions. And I was like, okay, well, I think I need to like write this down. (laughs) So that way, yeah, more people have access to it that aren't in Arkansas. And so um, I kind of use that platform for that. It's fabulous. That's fabulous. Well, the people in Arkansas are lucky and the ones outside of it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. I'm I'm so glad and I love that I was able to film and and build those courses and you know do my workshops as well. That's that's great. I women's empowerment workshops, that's your thing. <laughs> I try to help women feel empowered to create their own lives that they want for themselves. And a lot of that is building self-esteem. Because it's not just, hey, let me provide you with ideas for you to start your own business. It's let me provide you with ideas to maybe start your own business or start your idea that you've been wanting to do, but then also like make you feel like a badass while you're doing it, you know? So my first workshop that I'm doing, which I'm extremely excited about, is I'm bringing on a photographer. And so everyone is going to get a personal photo shoot at the event to be able to bring out their authentic them. And then after the photo shoot, we're going to go into breakout groups, talk about like what we were holding back inside of the photo shoot and what we felt about it. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm sure my photos were really ugly or I wasn't this or I wasn't that. And then my photographer that I hired, she is amazing. Absolutely love her. She is like the best advocate for women ever. Um, And she is like Arkansas's leading adventure photographer for the LGBTQIA plus community as well. And so um, she's going to sit back there with her little computer, edit things up. And then after we're all done, we're going to put it up on the screen and let people see, you know, this amazing version of themselves that they were able to create. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Wow. That's a brilliant idea. And to, to help women, right. With their self-confidence and of course around appearance and our messed up thoughts about that. That's fabulous. What a fun, 
What a fun time it's going to be. Yes. I'm so excited about it. I mean, I just need like 20 more people to buy tickets. So that way, like I can like feel like we're getting hyped and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, like 20, hundred more people to buy tickets and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> right. And, and if this, this airs probably after that, I am sure Becca, you're going to do another one. And oh, so yeah. it will be on your website and we'll have links to that for sure. Anybody yeah. can take part in that. So one of the things that, as you were talking about your mental health journey and mm-hmm. then creating your practice that works more balanced for your life is around mental health, you know, for all of us. And I think therapists can be like the worst at quotes, taking a mental health day. Mm -hmm. I was looking at some of your blogs. Your website is so beautiful. One of your blogs is about like, how do you plan for a mental health day? And I was hoping you could give our listeners, the therapist listener out there, a little tidbit on planning for a mental health day. I think when you go to plan a mental health day, one of the big things that I suggest for people is ask yourself what you need to accomplish on that day. Do I need rest? Do I need to watch a favorite TV show? Do I need to go for a run? Do I need to go kayaking or go try a new class? Or what is it that I, what is it that I desire? What is it that I need? And so I teach people, and this is one of my online courses, the difference between self-care and self-comfort. And um, I think a lot of people have this misconception that self-care is sitting on the couch and eating bonbons and watching trash TV. And although those are really good, like I mentioned earlier, to drown out the intrusive thoughts, right? They, that's self-comfort. And so looking on like the gold scale of things, when we have too much self-comfort, then we get really depressed. When we have too much self-care, which is the exercise, going to classes, Um, the continuing education, going to rallies and social events and all these kind of things, right? When we have too much self-care, then our anxiety is going haywire, okay? So when I tell people to plan for a mental health day, it's like, look at your scales. What have you had more of lately? Have you had more self-care or have you had more self-comfort? Are we feeling you know, depressy or anxious, right? And then I say like, how can we balance that out? So for every time that you decide to go take, you know, an Epsom salt bath with some candles, maybe you decide that you want to do like a little 10 minute workout, right? And balancing out that self-care and self-comfort. So that way you're not tricking your mind into believing that the only time that you can feel relief is when you're doing nothing. So a mental health day is not just about sitting on the couch and doing absolutely nothing. It's about doing what feeds your soul and what you really need. And sometimes what I really need is to finish a project or to write curriculum or to, you know, yesterday I told my husband, I was like, I want to pick you up from work and go out to dinner with you. And he was like, really on a Thursday? And I'm like, yes, that's, that's what I want on a Thursday. And that's what my soul needs right now. And then he was really honest with me today when he was like, Hey, are you going to the office to record this podcast or are you staying home? And I said, well, I I can stay home and do it. If you need me to go to the office, I can. And he said, 
I just need like three hours to myself. So that way I can have some quiet because we live in a small house and that I, is amazing. Yes. Couple of communication skills right there. Those two things that Becca just shared, right? Asking yeah. for what she wants, going out to dinner, making that connection, yeah. desiring to feel like she mattered to her husband and then him being able to say what he needed to you. Yes. And sometimes that comes with guilt in a relationship too. You know, I was getting ready to leave this morning. He was like, I'm sorry, I'm making you leave. And I was like, no, it's fine. I'm like, I understand he likes playing his games and sometimes he can get a little rowdy when he plays them. And so I don't necessarily like to hang around the couch, the couch, the house, couch, same word. I I mixed it together. The house. Whenever, uh, you know, he's killing a whole bunch of uh, Death Stars or whatever it is that he's playing on his little computer. So <laughs> we like we need to have that separate time so that way we can come when we do come together, we're nourishing each other. And, and that's a, a beautiful example of of self-care and comfort for the relationship as well. Yes. I really like how you said, you know, balancing the self-care and the self-comfort. And not getting so caught up in the notion that so like, oh, if we have a day off, it has to be only rest or it has to be only doing right. It's finding that balance. And really, I think that's going to help so many of my listeners because we get pressured as soon as we think like, okay, oh my gosh, I'm burning out. What am I going to do? How many times have you seen that post in all of the Facebook groups? I'm on the What should I do? Yes. And there's a hundred responses. Oh yeah. I I'm in a group called the burnt out therapist. And I specifically joined that group when I was working in an agency, because I was like, I need to be surrounded by other people that understand and other people that are going through the other, the stuff that I'm going through. But at the same time, it's like, we need, we need a place to first of all, say I'm burned out. And then we need ways to be able to manage it. And unfortunately, and this is what my therapist taught me, and I didn't necessarily appreciate it when she told me this, but um, she did. She taught me this and now I'm teaching it to my clients. My clients don't necessarily appreciate it. But one of the ways that we manage it is through self-compassion. Again, I thought self-compassion just looked like eating my life away on the couch, but self-compassion is about what my soul needs. And if my therapist decides to listen to this podcast, then she will probably, you know, make fun of me in therapy session for, you know, going ahead and just like, ha I got you, you know, it's like, yeah, well, you did, you, you did. Now I'm actually living my life in a healthy way. You're welcome. Like I'm, I'm doing the thing. But I was going to ask you, Becca, how is that self-compassion going for you? I know. And I'm going to be like, why don't you just be quiet and let me be mean to myself? Because that's so much easier. Um, but, and it is, it's a lot easier to be mean to yourself because we've been doing it our whole lives. That's what we've been raised to do, right? Is um, if we're strict with ourselves and we, you know, don't reward ourselves, then it, sharp- it sharpens us. And it's just not true you know, we can't, discipline doesn't always sharpen you. Sometimes it just makes you feel like complete and utter shit. And so this is the moment where you get to um, decide what you really need in life and, and ask your soul, what do I need? And then go and do it. Your soul might need the edges 
softens just a little bit, just a little bit. And, you know, I can be pretty blunt sometimes. Um, but you know, it's, it's important to, um, it's important to have the edges softened every once in a while and make you feel a little all warm and cozy on the inside. (laughs) Well, Becca, I just, I'm so, so moved that you're willing to come and have this conversation and especially share your story. Thank you. Your story is so rich of your, your personal journey with mental health and PTSD and how that has impacted you to want to touch others and serve others. And obviously your service as a therapist, it it lights you up and it really makes a difference for your clients. And you're making a difference beyond the client space now with your workshops and your online offerings. So I'd love for you to tell everyone, like, where can they find you and find out about what, what you're offering? Yeah. So you can find me on my website, uh, BeccaFergusonLPC.com or on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. I am on TikTok and I try to make TikToks that are TikTokable. Um, but sometimes I'm not the most talented TikToker. And so uh, bear with me on that. I do have a Twitter, but I've tweeted one time. So I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, tweeter tweeter. But I'm on basically all the socials. So if you go onto my website, um, I do offer online courses. They're like on-demand courses. So basically you just go on there, you purchase the course, you get a downloadable PDF workbook, and then you get a 30-minute video. Some of the courses are breaking up broken up into parts. And so you can get the video clips and you don't have to watch the whole 30 minutes all at once. It's just little clips of videos. Other ones, it is the big chunk because it's a little harder to break some of them up. But I have four mini courses. They're over the wise mind, smart goals, the window of tolerance, and self-care versus self-comfort. And then I have an extended course on anger management, which is a really important one to me because I built an anger management course, not only based off of my clinical expertise, but based off of the perspective of a victim of someone that had um, intermittent explosive disorder. And so that course has a lot of my experience in it. And it is like a court accepted uh, anger management course. So if someone is required by court to take anger management, they can go on there and do it and get a certificate and um, just ask your officer or lawyer um, to make sure it fulfills requirements and whatnot for your particular area. But you'll get a you'll get it from the perspective of like, hey, this is someone that went through it from the person that was doing the abuse, and it's a different perspective. So you're able to really tie things together instead of just getting a PowerPoint and all that kind of fun stuff. So I'm extremely excited to offer to your listeners 10% off of all of my mini courses, the uh, the window tolerance, wise mind, smart goals, and the self-care versus self-comfort, just because, I mean. Oh, that's so generous. Thank you so much. Therapists yeah. need therapy and therapists need online courses. So even if you're a therapist that's thought about doing an online course and you want to get yourself out there, please buy one of mine, check it out, see what it's like. Um, it's really fun and you get my whole personality in there. I don't just sit in front of a chalkboard. Oh, chalkboards are cringy. Um, but you know, I just 
am very real and authentic in those courses. So please go check it out. I'm giving 10% off to everyone. And so that way you can go have fun with it. That's, that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah. So it will be in the show notes and you can get 10% off of Becca's courses, including self-care versus self-comfort. Really, yes. I like that one for therapists. Heart-centered is the code. It's all in the show notes. And again, that's Becca Ferguson, LPC.com. You can find her online. So really, I just want to say it was so fun. And I know lots of people will enjoy learning from you and having experienced your your great real human energy. Thank you for being here, Becca, and bringing your whole self today. Yes, absolutely. I've been, this has been so much fun and I'm so glad we were able to talk. So anytime, that's what I'm here for. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.